Thank you, Kellen. Thank you, Brittany. And thank you again, team, for leading us in worship. I think I need, or I think I owe you all a bit of a definition. <laughs> we are three weeks into our low anthropology series, and I must confess, you know, without some definition, that could be a very confusing title. Low anthropology, what, what is that all about? Well, it's a book. I stole it. My dear friend, uh, Sammy Wood, who is rector of Church of St. Mary the Virgin in New York City, is friends with David and got a couple copies of this. And uh, I claimed one and he sent it to me and it was just the right book at the right time to help me begin to wrap my head and maybe my heart and my prayers around some things that I want for our church and, if I'm going to be honest, for our nation and for our world. So what is low anthropology. I'm just going to read you his words. We all go through life with an anthropology. Fancy word there, right? But what does it mean? It's just a study about human beings. Anthropology studies human beings. Anthropology, these are our ideas about what human beings are like, our potentials, and our limitations. And then this is what he said. <clears throat> Many of us spend our days feeling like we're the only one with problems while Everyone else has their act together. But the sooner we realize that everyone struggles like we do, the sooner we can show grace to ourselves and to others. And then he writes this. You see a high anthropology, thinking humans are amazing, thinking humans are always awesome, thinking humans always get it right, <laughs> thinking we are that great. A high anthropology can breed perfectionism, which can lead to anxiety. It can lead to burnout. It can lead to isolation and loneliness and resentment. But a biblically rooted and life-giving low anthropology can foster hope, connection with others, love, compassion, happiness, and vulnerability. So what does this actually mean, playing it out? Let me just give you, a, we'll be playful here a little bit. Uh, uh, so for example, last week, high anthropology, the religious leaders looking down on Jesus for hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. Low anthropology, I'm going to hang out with sinners and tax collectors. A high anthropology, I go to worship, I give my tithes, I do my service, I say my prayers, I have earned my salvation. A low anthropology, Jesus has earned my salvation and I receive it graciously and gratefully as a gift from him. A high anthropology, no regrets. Everybody see like the no regrets shirts, the no regrets tattoos, you know, the no regrets kind of life. High anthropology, no regrets. Low anthropology, I've made some mistakes and I'm gonna try to learn from them. A high anthropology, I am a self-made man or woman. A low anthropology, I need the help of my family. I need the help of my friends. I want the help of my church. I want the help of my neighbors. I have not made myself. <laughs> A high anthropology, I can do it all. I can be successful. I can have the perfect marriage. I can have the perfect kids. I can have the perfect home. I can have the perfect body. I can eat the perfect diet. I can be perfect. A low anthropology, I have limitations. I can't do it all. A high anthropology, I have all the right answers. A low anthropology, I'm seeking to ask the right questions. A high anthropology, I'm not selfish, I'm just being realistic. A low anthropology, I'm realistic. I know how selfish I've been 
on far too many occasions. This is the life-giving gift of a low anthropology rooted in the Bible. One more example. Graduation speeches are like ground zero for high anthropology. Every graduation speech I've been a part of, you did it. Some of your peers, they didn't even apply to school. A lot of your peers, they dropped out. What losers, but you, you made it, you did it. Now go and go and be awesome. In fact, if you're nothing less than awesome, you know, then you're not achieving your maximum potential. You just need to keep going, 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 you, you know, just, you know, you know, they're really trying to build people up, but you know, the weight then and the pressure of that high anthropology for all we're supposed to do and achieve with our lives. But visit some of those people a few years later and you might find them meeting in the basement of the church at the AA meeting saying, I became helpless <laughs> to control my addiction, to try and medicate the anxiety and the pressures and the weight that I feel burdened with. And so my friends, this is our invitation again to a biblically informed and gracious view of our lives with a low anthropology. Now, understand this. A low anthropology isn't self-loathing. A low anthropology is not unnecessarily beating us up. A low anthropology is understanding who we are as image bearers, made in the image of God, men and women bearing his likeness, infused with, with, with a call, with a purpose. Yes, there is much to celebrate about the potential of our humanity, but we know that within this humanity, within this life that we live, we are burdened with sin. We experience pain. We experience hardship. We experience brokenness. We need help to be blunt and then to get on with it. We need Jesus. We need a savior. <laughs> so we're gonna jump into God's word here right now. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, a short reading for us today. Here it is, Matthew 28. I'm sorry, Matthew 11, starting at verse 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I get that I'm running the risk right now of sounding a bit like a broken record because... On Memorial Day weekend, I read this passage to you. Memorial Day weekend was the weekend just before, the last Sunday before, you gave me the gift of a sabbatical. And I came before you, and amongst other passages, I read this passage, and I said, thank you for looking at me. And I guess I must have been pretty pitiable at that point, because everybody was like, you look weary and burdened. You need some rest, George. Go. And so I did. You gave me a sabbatical. I was able to embrace. I am feeling weary. I am feeling burdened. I am feeling tired. I am feeling a bit at my wit's end. Thank you so much for recognizing that limitation in me and giving me the gift of the sabbatical. So I went off on a sabbatical and it was life-giving, it was beautiful. But part of experiencing the beauty of that sabbatical was the admission of, I'm weary, I'm burdened, I could use some rest. And I hope right now you're able to say, maybe some of you in admission. Maybe I too, if I'm gonna be honest, 
feeling a little weary, feeling a little burdened, might be able to use a little bit of rest. Anybody here a fan of the Harry Potter series? You don't have to raise your hands because you know, Christians get a little weird about that. But anyways, I, I liked them. They were, they were fun. Um, second book, Prisoner of Azkaban. Uh, anybody who knows the character Hermione knows high anthropology, right? Do we even understand the definitions right now? She's a character. She's like the high anthropology character. I can do it all. I can be it all. I can learn it all. I can be the best at every single subject. But they wrote an interesting little storyline into, into that one. She wants to overcome her low anthropology. She wants to overcome her limitations. So she turns to magic, of course. It's the Harry Potter series. And she turns to the time turner. So she discovers a way that she can go to class at 8 a.m. and then turn back the time and then go to another class at 8 a.m. And she can just keep learning and trying to master every subject. At first, it seems amazing. She can just keep getting knowledge, 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 growing more, 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 more. But as it turns out, as you turn back time for the rest of the world and you get to go back and do things over again to learn more, your timeline keeps ticking along. And by the end of that series, we find that she is literally wiped out, exhausted. She cannot even get herself out of bed and onto class anymore. She came to her limits. There is a limit to her energies. There is a limit to her intellect. There is a limit to her achievements. She had to recognize the low anthropology of her own being. When we can accept those limitations, that is where we be, can begin to experience the goodness and the grace of God. It takes a humbling. It takes an admission. It takes the willingness to just confess that limitation. But there Jesus meets us and begins to fill us up. So low anthropology perhaps begins with that admission that we get weary and burdened and need rest. Well, that wasn't the only time I read that passage. I cleverly, at least I thought it was clever, I wanted to frame my whole summer with that passage because then when I came back on Labor Day weekend, I picked up that same text again, but then I focused in on the next passage, that next part. What does it say? Take my yoke upon you. And I kind of got up here and I tried to kind of cheer things on and I said, well, it's time to get back to work. Well, you guys actually never stop working. So again, thank you for that, for being the church and going on and pressing on. But I said, you know, it's time for me to get back to work. It's time for me to get to it again and to pick up the mantle of this mission of moving the church forward into our community, into our world. And praise be to God, there's a truth to that. But underneath that, sounding like a high anthropology, let's get to work, let's do it. There's, there's people to care for, there's uh, hungry to, to, to feed, there's a homeless to shelter. Yes, yes, all those things. But really, again, there's a low anthropology underneath that, an anthropology that says, uh, you aren't your own master. In fact, if we're going to be really honest about what Jesus is saying, he is saying, you're a beast of burden. You're like an ox. You're like a mule. You're like a workhorse. I want to put a yoke on you. And for anybody who wants to make their own life, that in itself can be a very humbling command to be yoked by another and Jesus is saying, yes. Jesus is saying, yes, I have work for you to do. We have to humble ourselves to take that yoke. David in his book points out that again, another sort of hub, a ground zero of a lot of high anthropology is the proliferation of these um, 
self-help books. He, he notices if you go into America, and this is rather unique for the world, that very often the self-help section is the largest section in any given bookstore. But he also had this observation. He said the self-help section isn't called the self-help section anymore. The self-help section kind of transformed to the self-care section. Oh, that sounds a little bit better. I just need a, I don't, I don't need help. I need, I need a little bit of caring. And then the caring section kind of turned into like the wellness section. Yes, I'm actually just trying to rise up to a greater wellness. And now the new thing is we all are just looking for the right life hack, right? Isn't that the word? Isn't that the vernacular now? If I just get the right hack, I can, I can just optimize my life. We have gone from, this is my observation here, we have gone from the seven habits of highly effective people to now we need atomic habits. It wasn't good enough just to have seven things that could help us out and to make good decisions in life. Now we need nuclear powered habits that are gonna explode our life. I mean, like, that's a high anthropology. Seven isn't enough, people. You need atomic habits. Now, I've read both books. They're good books. There's insights to the books. But, oh, there's a lot of weight whenever I'm supposed to make all of my habits atomic. <laughs> I mean, my goodness, good to great. When, did, when was good not good enough anymore? Oh, you mean I can't be like a good husband anymore? I have to be like the greatest husband ever? Oh, oh, I can't be a good pastor anymore? I have to be the greatest pastor to ever exist in the history of pastors? Oh, our ch church can't be good? It has to be great, it has to be amazing, it has to be perfect. That's a lot of pressure. Now, don't you know, misread me or misrepresent this. We, we, we do wanna optimize, we do want good habits, we do wanna get better at things, absolutely and amen. But are you feeling, I'll say it that way, are, are you feeling though that weight that every angle, it's almost like every sector of society, again, is just wanting to, to, to heap upon us this higher anthropology, do more, be more, never quit, make the best meals, make your house look perfect, drive a better car, get the promotion, put on a bet, you, you know, just, it begins to burden us. And so, Jesus gives us his invitation, come to me all who are weary and heavy burdened and I will give you rest. But here's the thing, and here's the turn. It was in reading that passage Labor Day weekend, and let me say this, there is something very unique and powerful when God's people come together and we read God's word together. It is uniquely able to speak to our hearts as a community of faith because it wasn't until the public reading of that passage, which I just read again, that I finally heard, and I'm gonna just admit this, that I finally heard, this is actually very much about Jesus. And I've been making it about myself all this time. Talk about a high anthropology. Talk about thinking too much about myself. Oh my goodness, I've been reading this simple little passage and I've been making it all about me all this time. Oh, it's about my weariness. It's about my burden. Oh, it's about my yoke that I must bear. And we can miss right there, smack dab in the middle of this beautiful little passage is Jesus actually just trying to tell us something beautiful about himself. And what is he telling us about himself? Did you catch it? For I am gentle and humble in heart. There are some other translations put it even more, I think, kind of in your face, for I am gentle and lowly. Do we often think about Jesus being gentle and lowly? I don't know. I don't know if we do. 
But Jesus is showing us his heart right here in this passage. If I was gonna be honest, even though I've been sitting in a church pew for just about as long as any of you, because I'm a half a century now, I know some of you got a little bit more on me, but I've been in this seat for a long time. And I bet before this study, before this passage, before my reflections in the past season of my life, if I was going to be given a fill in the blank, Jesus is, I would have said, Jesus is holy because he is. He is the Holy One sent from God. Even the demon said he's the Holy One. I mean, I would have said he is righteous because he is, right? Anybody wanna argue with that? He is the righteous one, able to win for us righteousness and right standing before God. I would have said he's powerful. He works miracles. He gives sight to the blind. He, he gives mobility to the invalids. Uh, he, he heals the sick. He feeds the hungry. Uh, he's all powerful. I would have said, He's brilliant. Nobody taught like Jesus. He taught with wisdom and authority. The people hadn't heard anything like it. All of this is true. All of this though reflects so many things about Jesus that we lean into so often. We know we have from Jesus a great, great commission to go and make disciples of all nations. We know from the heart of Jesus last week, we have this great reflection of his own mission. He has come to seek, and to save the lost. We know from Jesus, we have this great command to love God and to love our neighbors with all of our heart, mind, soul, strength. But here Jesus is showing us not just a command, not just an example of what we do and how to seek and save the lost. He's showing us his heart. He's revealing his innermost being to us. He's revealing this, like the center, the core, his motivating factor, you know, the, this moving impulse in his, in his being that he, in revealing himself to us, is gentle and humble. And if we look at the life of Jesus, it makes perfect sense. It fits in with the ministry that he's been demonstrating for us all along. He comes to us gently and humbly. As we read last week in the story of Zacchaeus, he comes to us to seek and to save. He comes to us, we read elsewhere in Matthew, because he is the doctor seeking to heal the sick. Gently and humbly, he comes to us in the season we are about to celebrate. Gently and humbly, the God of the universe, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit becomes incarnate in Jesus's birth in that manger. We actually call it the season of humiliation because we recognize that for God, infinite, almighty, perfect, all powerful, all of that, to take on flesh and blood would be itself humbling and humiliating. Humbly and gently, he comes to us and takes on flesh. Humbly and gently, he bears on all the foibles and frailties of this human vessel. Gently and humbly, we know that he was tested and tried, but he was able to remain without sin. Humbly and gently, we know that he was tempted as we are, but he was able to resist temptation. Humbly and gently, we know that he went to the cross. Humbly and gently, he willingly allowed himself to be betrayed by a friend. Humbly and gently, he withstood lies and accusations in that kangaroo court that tried him to death. Humbly and gently, he did not speak up for himself while he was beaten and mocked and ridiculed. 
humbly and gently he stood before Pilate and accepted what he knew was the will to win for us salvation. The trial and the condemnation of the cross. Humbly and gently he went to that cross on that hill on Golgotha. Humbly and gently he bowed down his head and gave up his life. Humbly and gently then he rose from the grave, even in the resurrection body. Think about the humility and the gentleness of Jesus and the glorified resurrected body, this body that could somehow be fully human and yet could you know, walk through walls and appear in places. How humbly and gently, what are the first words he says to his disciples each and every time he, he uh, reveals himself to them? Do not be afraid. Don't be afraid, I'm coming to you gently and humbly. Gently and humbly, he goes to Thomas. Go ahead and reach out, Thomas. Touch my nail-pierced hands. Touch my sin-pierced side. Gently and humbly, he goes to Peter, who has denied Jesus Christ. And gently and humbly, he simply says to him, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Gently and humbly, Jesus comes to us sinners and sufferers showing us his heart. Dane Orland in the book that I gave to Al and Diane presses into this. It was quite um, providential that I think my friend Sam gave me this book and interestingly and my wife I don't know if she had any I think she found the book gently and humbly at, at, at Goodwill. <laughs> Oh, Karis found it. Karis, my daughter Karis recommended it to me. So he bought it. And uh, yeah, such a great book. Well, he does a little great treatment of gentleness and the humility of Jesus Christ. He points out that the word gentle isn't used too frequently actually in the scriptures, but it does appear uniquely throughout the Gospel of Matthew. In the Gospel of Matthew, we hear Jesus when he is teaching his sermon on the mount and he is listing off those beatitudes. We know the one that comes, blessed are the meek. That word gets translated meek there. Blessed are the gentle there, for they will inherit the earth. There's something to think about. The gentle, the meek, are the ones who will inherit the kingdom of God and the new heavens and the new earth. And then very revealing, that word gets used again at the end of Matthew in chapter 21, when on the Sunday that we call Palm Sunday, when Jesus is coming into Bethany on his way to Jerusalem, and he's riding on the colt, we hear from Matthew, he points out that this is the fulfillment of the prophecy from Zechariah, where it says, behold your king riding on the colt, the foal of a donkey, gently. So we see consistent in the witness of scripture in the ministry of Jesus Christ that this gentle king was no surprise, but was the gentle king promised from centuries past. We do see the word picked up, and I think it most very beautifully here, and one that I think about quite often in the fruits of the spirit. But if I'm gonna be honest, we kind of trail off on the fruits of the spirit because there's a lot. I mention them often and they can kind of roll off the tongue of a professional Christian, you know. <laughs> Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Let's not forget the gentleness that is one of the fruits of the spirit. The gentleness that should characterize life in the body of Christ. The gentleness that can be the tie that binds us together by being gentle with one another. 
And so we see this theme of gentleness running throughout the life of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus through the body of Christ. Being humble is tied to it. It might be the way that we might describe something as shiny and sparkly, where we're just emphasizing it, but the words mean different things. And so Jesus says, I'm gentle and humble. He's trying to emphasize his gentleness and humility, but there are some unique nuances to the humility of Jesus Christ as well. We do see humility lifted up as a virtue very consistently throughout the Old Testament and into the New Testament. We see that there's great warnings, a number of times warnings about being uh, haughty, prideful, arrogant before one another and before God. We see the humbleness um, being testified to in Mary's song when Mary is with Jesus. And we will celebrate this again in our coming celebration of uh, Advent and the Christmas season. In Mary's song, she blesses God who has seen his servant in her humble, in her lowly estate. And then again, we, we, we see that the, uh, in James, the brother of Jesus, he gives a warning against those who are haughty or prideful and arrogant in heart and commends us to live a life of humility. Peter picks that theme up, and oh, Peter, maybe that's the one that strikes me the most throughout his two letters over and over again. We see the witness of a man who was humbled greatly in his life and began to characterize his own ministry and commended to us a humility of heart. We, we see that Paul picks that up, and he commends the church in Rome to be associated with the lowly. And there's that unique nuance to being humble or lowly. It's not just a quality or character that we want to embody, but he uses it to characterize a people. And that's very important, I think, for us as the body of Christ. He says, don't be afraid, don't be ashamed. In fact, I commend you to associate those who our society sees as the humble and the lowly in heart. This past week, we had some bad weather, and we're trying to figure out again our connection and our work with the Winter Shelter Network here in Douglas County. But Robin and I and some others have had an ongoing relationship with the Severe Weather Shelter Network, and uh, Robin has stepped up to be one of their leaders, actually, because she just has a heart for the homeless and the needy in our community. But we were able to go there on Thursday night and get things ready over at Faith Community Center. But it did strike me after I wrote this message, at least the first draft of it, there's something beautiful about associating with those who know that they've been humbled to the point of saying, can you put me in a church so I don't get frostbite on my feet tonight? <laughs> can you welcome me into the church so that I could have a hot meal on this very, very cold and wet night? There's something very humbling about associating with the humble. And there's something beautiful and Christ-like whenever we make those associations, whenever we engage in those ministries. Well, Jesus says to be gentle and humble in heart. And there he's getting to the heart of the matter because we know that the heart is the center of our being. The heart is the core of our existence. We know that throughout the Old Testament and into the New, we're told, in fact, to guard our heart. That's one of the favorite Proverbs, you know, Proverbs 4, 23. Uh, you know, guard your heart above all others, above all other things. Guard your heart because from the heart flows the life of all. And so Christ is saying from his heart, his motivating factor, this you know, movement of his life is to be gentle 
and humble in heart. And we see this throughout his ministry. In the chapters just preceding Mark, uh, I'm sorry, Matthew 11 here, again, we see Jesus gently and humbly dealing with a leper who cries out to him, have mercy on me, and Jesus heals him. We see gently and humbly he deals with the blind man who's crying out, Jesus, son of David, and he gives him his sight. We see Jesus dealing gently and humbly with a woman with the issue of bleeding and the, and the ruler's son, daughter, who's about to die and humbly and gently Jesus deals with these people in their lowly and humble estates. So we see the heart of Jesus playing itself out over and over again. One of the most descriptive words we have in the scripture, and I've mentioned this before because I love this word, um, that when Jesus performs one of these miracles, healing the sick or feeding the hungry or giving sight to the blind, uh, curing a leper, almost always we see this great Greek word. And it might be my favorite Greek word of all Greek words, splagnizomai. Have I mentioned that one before? Splagnizomai? I, I, I try to bring it up every once in a while just because it's fun to say. Splagnizomai. He's moved in his guts. Splagnizomai is to be moved, if we're going to be actually blunt, in your bowels with the passion, the compassion of God towards others. Uh, when Robin and I were dating, she had this friend, and uh, she had a little playful way of, of, of bringing this up all the time. If we want to, like, ultimately insult people, what do we say? I hate your... I know, and I don't know where that... Maybe there's, like, I don't know, some, like, you know, the, the Greek connection. You know, we, 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 you know we, we hate people's guts. I loved it. She, she always, I, I, it, just, it just struck me. I, I've never forgot it. Maybe she still says it. I just remember meeting her and on the way out, she said, Robin, I love your guts. She, I love that. I love your guts. I love you when I see who you are. I love you from your innermost being. I love you so much. That's the splagnizomai. That's the compassion. That's the love of God for sinners. And sufferers coming to us with splagnizomai, coming us being moved in gentleness and humility to meet us in our time of need. Now, one, um, one caveat before we conclude, one very quick caveat. What do we make then of the anger or the wrath of Jesus? We'll deal with this more later, except I, except I want to simply point out to say, what is it that actually incites Jesus' anger? What actually incites his wrath? Very interestingly, we do see that it is whenever the worship in his father's house is corrupted with people charging such exchange rates and trying to make so many barriers to worship that people are actually being turned out. They couldn't pass the test. They couldn't get through the gates to get into the worship of God. And that made him angry. <laughs> that God's house would ever be blockaded a barrier, a wall set up that wouldn't invite sinners and sufferers into the worship of God. We see another time when he is angered actually and he weeps whenever he encounters Mary and the death of her brother Lazarus. First we read that actually he wept with Mary, but then we read that he is angered, that he turned his face toward his anger. And what angered him? Death, death itself, the ultimate limitation ultimate sign of the sinfulness and brokenness of the world, the death of a loved one. And that angered him. So we'll deal more with that later on.
that was the one caveat. Now the conclusion. Kellen, if you want to get up and get ready to take us out in a little bit more worship. That Jesus demonstrates for us a gentle and humble heart. If we might turn towards ourselves, how might we demonstrate likewise a gentle and humble heart? So you, you probably know what I'm going to say, but I think it bears a saying. In the coming week and for the rest of this series, two more weeks after that, I want to invite you just to be examining your life and your relationships through the heart of Jesus, through a gentle and humble heart, a gentle and lowly heart. What would it look like for you to take the lowest anthropology position in your dealings with your spouse? To try and understand them more than being understood. To try and care for them more than being cared for. To try and serve them more than being served. What would it look like to deal with your children with a lower anthropology? To recognize the pressures, the difficulties, the hardships that we go through in simply coming of age. How can you deal with your own children, be they young children or be they adult children, with a more gentle and humble heart? How might we deal with our neighbors, those neighbors that drive us crazy, maybe whenever they, uh, <laughs> whenever they leave their garbage cans out so the wind's blowing them around and they were supposed to have them put away by five o'clock or whenever they park all their cars in front of my driveway and now I can't get cleared in here, or whenever their dog's barking late at night and they, they, they should be more considerate of my needs. Well, maybe your neighbor's anniversary of the death of their daughter was this past week. And so you just wanna have a little bit more compassion with her than get angry with her. Maybe you wanna have a little bit more compassion with your coworker because you realize Wait, didn't they say their partner, their husband just filed for divorce? Maybe that's why it's really hard for them to be at work now. Just mercy. I can think of a lot of examples right now, things coming to my mind. Maybe we can just be a little bit more gentle and compassionate when we recognize the humble estate that so many people around us are going through. So let me say a prayer for us. And then let's seek to be more like Jesus who comes to us gently and humbly. Let me pray.